Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk in daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. I'm always nervous when I use an illustration that has to do with something out of my area of expertise. And it's even more nerve-wracking this morning because I'm going to talk to you for a moment just to open the message about when I work construction and the electrical part of it, and I have a master electrician sitting right in front of me. <laughs> Any other electricians in the room besides my, like, yeah, no, not Carlo, I know that. Anybody else? All right, so I just... If you don't see me preaching to this side of the room, it has nothing to do with you, okay? It has to do with Mike. No, I was, so when I worked construction, we did concrete, and we would go into condo buildings, so a lot of the big, uh, especially the Tridel buildings that you see in Toronto, um, I worked in a, quite a few of those, and we would come in after the formers, so they would form the building, we would come in and give a flat surface, uh, it was very technical there, it was not a level surface, it was a flat surface, um, after them, so then the people coming in doing the flooring liked us because they could put the tile down and it didn't wave and stuff. You'd be amazed how many bumps there are in those buildings if we didn't do our job. But we had these big, massive machines and we advertised that we were dust-free and we were because they had these big vacuum cleaners that were crazy loud and it had this big, like have you ever seen those four polishers? Put that on steroids or like the Incredible Hulk of floor polishers because it chewed up the floor. And as we ran this, it was a three-phase. I realize I'm stuck to this side. Mike's right in front of me. <laughs> so we ran a three-phase. It had its own power box, which means each one had its own breaker. Yes. <laughs> on a roll. This actually might help. And so as we were working, I remember being in this one building, and my machine was working, but it was just, you, you know how when a machine's working, but you know it's not fully there, like there's something off, there's something not working correctly. And so it wasn't the worker. I see people shaking their heads and whispering to each other. It wasn't the worker that was off, okay? So the machine wasn't going properly, and I'm trying to figure it out, and so we check our power box, we check our cords, we switch cords, we do everything. And finally, we're like, okay, what is wrong with our machine? So we start tracing our cords, and we have 100-foot cords, because we literally plug into the basement um, main panel for the building, and then it goes up as high as the building goes. So you can imagine how many floors, this is how many cables we have. So we're tracing it back down this whole building to make sure something's not wrong with the cable, it's not sliced somewhere or anything. Walking, walking all the way back down, so we get down to the electrical room, and we find out they've only wired into the panel box two phases. So the weird thing is, it's still running, but it's not fully running. And I think there's many times in our Christian walk, you guys are already piecing this together in your head, where we're running on two phases of the Trinity, but we're not connected to the Holy Spirit. And what happens is your life is operating, your life is working, but something you know you're missing something. We're just missing something. And what we're missing in our life is the full presence of God. Because see, that's what sets us apart. That's what makes us different in our lives. In those moments, we have to ask ourselves, what is God asking us to do, and did we miss it? Is there a delay? Did we disobey? And this is why we start realizing there's something missing. And we realize, like, we can go through our religious checklist, and I'm not saying anything, any of these are bad. These are great disciplines. But we can walk through going, did we read our Bible today? Yes. Did we pray today? Yes. Did, did we even listen to some good Christian music today? Yes. Did I listen to a podcast today? Yes. Did I do all of the things? Yes, 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 yes did I take a moment to ask the Holy Spirit to be a part of my day? See, one of the things I try to practice is when I wake up in the morning, before I actually get out of bed, I actually try to ask the Holy Spirit. I, it's sound, this is going to sound bad. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I actually am not asking Jesus. I'm actually not asking the Lord. I'm actually asking the Holy Spirit to join me for the day. Because here's what you need to realize. I love my Lord. I love Jesus. They're in heaven. The Holy Spirit is here. And so if I'm not asking the one that's here to be a part of my day, then I'm missing it. So don't get me wrong. I want the Lord to be part of my day. I want Jesus to be part of my day. But if I'm not asking the Holy Spirit, that's like me getting into the car with Melissa and driving and not talking to her. 
She's the one right in the car. If I'm just on my phone talking to other people, doesn't that seem rude? But how many of us, we pray to Jesus, we pray to our Lord, but we forget the Holy Spirit. It is such a vital part of our Christian walk. And so as we walk through this, it's interesting because as we get into, and what we're going to read is Exodus 33, and and part of this story, we realize, we realize that the Israelites are waiting on Moses as he's up the mountain. He's getting an understanding of how to build the tabernacle and do all these things, and right as this is happening, they get impatient and distracted. How many people waiting on the timing of the Lord have been distracted before? Just a few, okay. Um, It's okay, we can... Raise our hands. We keep the lights off down low so nobody sees sweat marks. So you can raise it up nice and high. It's good. Um, but we, they get impatient. And so what they do is in their patience, they make their own God. And sometimes for us, we're waiting on God's timing. We're waiting for something to happen. And we get impatient. And we move ourselves. And unintentionally, we create a God. We, we shift our attention away from God and do it ourselves. And it's interesting because as you read through, as you're going to see as we go through this, they did something very similar that they were supposed to do. Moses is up on the mountain, getting an understanding of how to build a tabernacle because they're supposed to go in the camp. And what do the Israelites do while he's up there? They build an altar and a God to worship. Just the wrong one. So it's interesting how this happens. See, we have to realize something, that there is always a counterfeit to the very purpose and promises that God has for us. That is because Satan is very sly. So he will give you something so similar. Anybody growing up had a fake pair of Oakleys? Fake pair of Oakleys, really expensive sunglasses, but if it didn't look 100% right, you got them for 20 bucks instead of 200. And unless you got really, really close, you couldn't tell that they were uh, fakelies, not Oakleys. Sometimes with our walk with God, we will passionately go after something, unintentionally, wholeheartedly, go after something that we think God wants us to have, but it's a counterfeit and the enemy's led us astray. But it looks so close, so similar, but we've missed it. If we don't see satisfaction on what we think is supposed to look like, he convinces us to man-make it. So it looks really good. See, the enemy is a trickster. He does not make anything that is displeasing to the eye. How many of you know if sin looked disgusting, we wouldn't be tempted? If chicken wings weren't so good, I wouldn't be tempted. He makes things appealing. That's the only way he gets us. So we have to be careful to know the difference between the fake and the real. And the way we do that is through the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus 33, starting at verse 1. Actually, this morning, after we prepared the sermon, I added another scripture verse. So if you can go to Exodus 19, um, Exodus 19, 4 to 6. Um, I was thinking about this passage and like why it was even that much more horrible what they were doing. If, if you know, worshiping an idol wasn't bad enough as it is. Um, when you look back to Exodus 19, 4 to 6, um, Right before Moses goes up and uh, he goes up to Mount Sinai and God gives him these wonderful things that God is going to do and the Ten Commandments and the, the, um, the steps to how to make the tabernacle and all of that. God says to Moses, go tell the people this promise. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt. So he's reminding them, I just like did 10 plagues and, and split the water. If that's not good enough for you, um, 
this is what I'm going to do. He said, so you've seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. I've been faithful, he says. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you're to speak to the Israelites. So Moses goes down and he tells the Israelites, guys, we are going to be a holy nation. We are going to be like set apart, like bosom buddies, kindred spirits, and of Green Gables I've been watching lately, um, with God. Like this, this is what we get to be with God. And so it's not God up on a throne, you know, we're just worshiping an unknown God. God has been in their midst. He's been faithful. He's been doing crazy miracles. He's been doing unbelievable things. And not only that, I'm going to call you friend. Like, I am going to call you my treasured possessions, my favorites. You are my favorites. And, and, and Moses, tell, God tells the Israelites this. And then two seconds later, and not only that, then he also promises, I'm going to send a dense cloud. And it's going to be really thick. And you're going to see Moses go in, and you're actually going to hear God speaking to Moses. And that's how much you're going to know that my favor is on you because I'm really, 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 really close. So they have seen crazy miracles. They have seen a cloud in their presence. And then not only that, just to make it even better, there's Mount Sinai. Moses goes up, and there's like thunder and lightning and billowing smoke, and it's crazy. And Moses goes up it. So like the, the tangible presence of God is right in front of them. And what do they do? Just what Pastor Chad was saying. They're like, oh man, I don't know where God was. I don't know where he is. So let's just go and make a calf. You know, let's, let's, let's find another God. Um, and so, yes, let's go back and read Exodus 33, 1 to 6. And as you find that, Exodus 33. So can you imagine Moses coming down from the mountain, God had warned him, and seeing his people, who've just seen incredible miracles, the very tangible presence of God running wild, doing ungodly things, and making a a golden calf and worshiping it. Like, there's nothing worse than that. So then reading, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place. You and the people you brought up out of Egypt and go up to the land I promised you on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying, I will give it to your descendants. You know what he's saying? I'm faithful. I promised. I will deliver. So go up. Go to the place I promised you. I will send you an angel before you to drive up the Canaanites so you're not going to be in, in harm. Don't worry, I've got you. Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go to the land flowing with milk and honey because I am faithful. I promised it. I'll follow through. But I'm not going to go with you because you're stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. So there's a couple things that are profound to me about that. So what is, what is so wrong about that? What's wrong with the fact that, that God's like, you know what? Just go. Go to the land with milk and honey. What's wrong with that? When Moses went up to Mount Sinai, God had promised them and, and told them how to make a tabernacle. And that tabernacle was supposed to be right in their midst. Like if, if you know, seeing the split sea was not enough, if seeing, you know, a dense cloud outside the camp where they could go to worship and see God speak to Moses, if that wasn't enough, make a temple, make a tabernacle right in your presence and you're going to worship me there. There is nothing better than having God's presence right there in your midst. That's what, that's what they were supposed to do. God was saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be right there. You're going to worship me. We're going we're gonna to be mingling. But when they turned and they said, you know what, God, I don't even know where you are. God said, scrap the tabernacle. Just go. Just get out of my face, basically. I'm faithful. I'm going to give you what you want. But I can't go with you because I can't be around sin. And so... I wonder, um, and want, as we take this home for a couple seconds, sometimes we wonder, you know, I just don't feel at peace anymore. Or like, I know God's there, I know it, but I just don't feel God's presence and I'm not seeing anything. Where did God go? 
Sometimes in those moments, there's a couple responses. Sometimes we need to just dig in a little bit deeper. Um, I was actually talking to Matt Tapley this week about, about just, you know, not seeing, being satisfied. And he said, sometimes things become so norm. That's when God's saying, you need to go to the next level and you need to dig in and you need to just, you need to find out what, what that next level is and go for it. And sometimes you need to do that. But the flip side that's very real that often we don't like to talk about is, did I go wrong somewhere? Where did I go wrong? Okay, did I add a, like, did I slip up somewhere? Is there, is there sin that has crept into my life that, that I look really good on the outside, but if people only knew, if people only knew what was going on in my head or that struggle or whatever it is, and I'm just not feeling God's presence anymore, but I know that that is there. Or maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's, you know what? I'm doing pretty good. You know, I've got the presence of God. You know, I know that God wants me to go here. I'm not, though, so sure if he's going to go there. And I'm just going to man make this. And it's going to look really good still. Is our hands involved too much? It's, it's called self-reliance. Where we're not trusting God as much. When was the last time you took a major step of faith? Where you were like, God, I am laying it all on the line. And if you don't catch me, I'm in really big trouble. I'm losing all my finances. I am losing all of my friends. I'm losing everything. This is like that earth-like cliff moment of do or die, God. When was the last time you had a moment like that? I challenge you. If you haven't had a step of faith that's been pretty big lately... Maybe self-reliance has crept in or dependency on self because we need to be at the point where God is the only answer that we're in really big trouble if he doesn't come through. That's, I think, the kind of faith that God wants us to have. I think that's when God shows up. I think that's when the cloud of his presence comes down. I think it's the kind of faith where we say, God, I won't speak until you tell me what to say. I won't step forward until you tell me where to go. I am doing nothing until you tell me to move. And then God says, you've made me Lord. Okay, here's my presence. Because, you know, I'm, I could go way ahead of me. I'm just going to stop right there because we're going to go there later. So where have we went wrong? So just analyze for a moment. Where we went wrong. So if we continue to, to verse 4. When the people heard these distressing words and began to mourn. And no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments. I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments, ornaments at Mount Horeb. Again, there's so many things you could just, chat's like, there's five sermons in here. I'm like, we could do them all this morning. We can. Uh, so I'll just talk really fast because it's so good. Um, when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. So um, I, was, I got up really early this morning and I was just reading like several chapters before, just kind of ingraining myself in it. And it was struck me that when Moses came down from the mountain and he sees this golden calf, um, He's furious, and he says to the, uh, he says, I'm over here. Whoever's with me and God, come over here. And of course, the Levites run over, and they're with them. And he said, this is horrible. Yes, this is a Bible story. Kids, close your ears. Um, So, Levites go, and like, you just kill everybody else, right? 3,000 people died that day. 3,000 people died that day. And it doesn't say that there was mourning. It doesn't say that. But when the people heard that God's presence wouldn't go with them, then they mourned. I think sometimes we care too much about the things that we see around us, whether we've lost the house, whether we've lost this or that or, or whatever, all very viable, real, real, real things. But what should we matter the most? You know, I just had a conversation with... Um, uh, you know, I just even want to bring a little bit of honor to Flo, um, Florence Kale, who, who passed away last week. There was a funeral this week. What a woman of God. Unbelievable woman of God. I had the privilege of just getting to know her. And I've been really grieving the time that I've lost that I haven't been able to spend with her, that I was looking forward to spending with her. And... Uh, I went into her home, and she was showing me around, and, and um, in December, one of the last conversations I had with her, we were just talking about death, and um, um, fearing death, 
And she said to me, you know, you know, it's not God if you're fearing death because there should be such peace because it's the biggest transition you'll ever have. It's the best transition to go to heaven, right? So when we're holding on to things so much that we're like, no, these things, these things, the best transition is to be with God in glory. The best thing that we should ever have is the presence of God that we could care less about everything else. So all of these people die, no mourning, but God says, I'm going to take my presence from you. And God, and they mourned and they said, wow, what has, what has come to us? And then he says, you're a stiff necked people. The Bible, the definition of stiff necked is referring to a stubborn horse or oxen not responding to the pulling of the reins. And I wonder how many times we are stiff-necked or stubborn or rebellious. And, and God's saying, come over here. We're like, this looks really good. Come over here. No. And, you know, he's got the reins. And we're like, mm, right? Like these stiff-necked people where we just won't respond to what God is asking us to do. He's saying, you're stiff and, and then he says, I'm going to take my presence from you. The Matthew Henry commentary about the scripture verse says, those whom God pardons must be made, must be made to know what their sin deserved and how miserable they would have been if they had been unpardoned, that God's mercy may be the more magnified. Let me read that again. Those whom God pardons must be made to know what their sin deserved and how miserable they would have been if they had been unpardoned, that God's mercy may be all the more magnified. I think sometimes in society we have gone so far on the grace wagon, which is imperative to understand how much God's grace is for us. But I think sometimes God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit becomes common because we forget what our sin deserves. And when we look at our sin in the face, God says, take off your ornaments. Everything that represented you to your old life, they took off their jewelry, the things that they had created and made out of this gold that they had put. Everything that connected them with the old life, they needed to look at themselves in the mirror Face the reality of where they were at that moment and say, oh, this is how far I've come. I'm taking it off. I'm repenting. Until we look at ourselves in the mirror and go, okay, maybe a little bit of self-reliance over here. Maybe a little bit of pride. Maybe a little bit of hidden sin, hidden thoughts. Maybe a little bit of disunity. Maybe a little bit of unforgiveness and hatred. You know, I just can't seem to forgive that person. I keep trying. It's still there. Maybe all those things. We need to look in the face and go, without the blood of Jesus, it doesn't matter. There is no hierarchy of I murdered or I looked at something or I stole. Death. That is the law. And sometimes we need to remember what was supposed to come to us in order to look at Jesus and look him in the eyes and go, wow, I was supposed to be dead. I was supposed to receive help. But your grace, your grace, wow, that's what grace is. I think of Romans 8 that says, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this is not a message of condemnation. This is a message of full grace. But until we realize what was due to us, we need to look at Jesus and say, wow, God, there is no condemnation. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's none of that. It all gets wiped off of me. I get a clean slate. It's like walking in downtown to the judge, and he said, free. What? I don't have to even pay a little bit of taxes, or like, I don't, I don't have to pay anything. I don't have to go to jail. Are you free? If, if they only knew. It's like we walk into church sometimes. And we're like, if they only knew. If they only knew what I was dealing with. If they only knew what I've done in my past. If they only knew. God says, I don't even know. Why are you reminding me? <laughs> right? 
But I think sometimes if there's things presently going on, we need to go, where did God's presence in my life go? Okay, all right, I'm going to face it. I'm going to take off those ornaments that connect me with the things that separate me from God. And I'm going to say, God, I want your presence so desperately that I'm going to take a look at myself and say, Father, forgive me for being self-reliant. Father, I choose to trust you. God, when, when I couldn't see your hand and when I didn't know where you were and I thought you were, you know, Moses would dead up the mountain. Father, I, I created all these things so that things would look good on the outside when maybe I should have just shut down and waited for you to move. And then I would have known that you were real. But forgive me for creating things so that things went on as normal. But the thing that was missing was your presence. And I miss that. Um, Matthew Henry commentary says, calls to repentance are plain indications of mercy designed. There wouldn't be repentance if mercy wasn't already there. If the Lord was pleased to kill us, Justice knows what to do with a stiff-necked people, but God has no pleasure in the death of those that die. Let them return and repent, and then mercy, which otherwise is at a loss, knows what to do. And so I wonder today, just in closing my part, let's take a look at ourselves and say, Father, is there something that we need to change? Is there something that we need to like take it off so we could turn from it and turn to you and say, God, we really, really, really need you. Yeah. Okay. I'm doing the next point. So Exodus 33, seven to 11 says, We'll get good at this. It's okay. Just grace. Grace. This is a message of grace. <laughs> now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down, and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever they saw, the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance of their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave. I'm wondering what... Um, if you were an Israelite at this time and God had just said, you know what, take off your ornaments, I haven't decided. You know how that feeling like you were growing up and your parents are like, just go take a time out. I'm not sure what to do with you. Maybe your parent needs a time out too. <laughs> and just have a little break and you're waiting and you can hear the footsteps and you're like, what is it going to be? What's the answer? You think of that as the Israelites because God's just like, go take your ornaments off. Not sure what I'm going to do yet. That's basically what happened. And so Moses goes into the, the tent of the meeting. And the, pre, the thick cloud is there. And they see it. And so what they used to do is they would go and worship. Well, what they did this time was they stood outside their tent. I think this is profound because publicly they displayed... I'm going to worship something else. I'm going to worship a calf. They did that publicly. I think it was really important that they came outside the tent... And when they saw him go in, they stood and they worshipped. And I think sometimes the only thing that we can do in times of that is just to put our, pres or our focus on Jesus and to worship him. And he says, um, and, it, and it just says that, that Moses went in and the people worshipped. Um, Matthew Henry's commentary says, when God designs mercy, he stirs up prayer. So when you know that God is a merciful God, it causes you to come and pray. And so Moses goes in to pray. And, it, and I just like it because when it, it says, when God designs mercy, he stirs up prayer. And so we are going into Holy Spirit weekend next weekend. And, and even just being January, I think as pastors, we, as pastoral staff, we represent today the reminder that, you know what, we can have really cool lights, and that is not what it's all about. 
We can have the most amazing youth group in the world, and that is not what it's all about. We can have the best preacher in the world, and that's not what it's all about. Because you can have all of those things, but if you don't have God's presence, then you're missing it. And so when you see God's mercy, and I see God pouring out his spirit as his mercy on his people. He's saying, I want to be with you. That's his love. But it stirs up prayer because we know that we can get something more than we have at that moment. And so my, my prayer to you is, are we praying for more? Are we praying for mercy? Is it causing us to go deeper? It's interesting as... God comes down and sits, his presence rests on the tent of meeting, and Moses is inside, and all the Israelites are standing at their doors watching. They could identify the presence of God, they just weren't in it. And I think a lot of times in our walk, we can come to church, we can be at different places, and we can be worshiping the Lord, and we can see the presence of God moving on somebody else, but we question, God, why them? Why not me? And, and I don't believe it's a selfish inquiry. I think it's actually, God, what's going on? We, that's where we have to be careful in our minds that we don't shift our thoughts to criticize the other person. There's moments where I believe the Holy Spirit's moving in a room and we see and we can tell that somebody near us is experiencing the move of the spirit, there's manifestation on them and maybe they're crying, maybe they're shaking a bit, maybe they've fallen on the floor, maybe there's different things that have happened. And instead of inquiring of the Lord how we can get into his presence farther, we critique the mannerisms of the other person. Oh, Melissa, you shouldn't be moving like that. The Holy Spirit wouldn't do that. Lord, why aren't you moving on me? Well, you just basically told me how I shouldn't be doing it. Right? Like, sometimes we, we shift our minds away from ourselves because it's a lot easier. I don't know about you. For me, it is a lot easier for me to point out what's wrong with you than what's wrong with myself. Right? None of us like to do that. I don't know about you. I do not like looking in the mirror. Literally. There are moments in my life where I'm like, I don't want to look in a spiritual mirror, and I don't want to look in a physical mirror. But I love this, I had a mentor tell me once, the only person that you cannot lie to is yourself. I know you'd love to look up here and see two pastors and go, well, they can't lie. I can bluff with the best of them. We have to realize if the presence of God is not thick in my life and we believe that scripture tells us and we believe the scripture that the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then the only thing that is stopping him from moving in my life is me. As I said earlier, the cornerstone actually doesn't move. We do. The Lord is still there wanting to be a part of our life. The, the cloud of God still descended on the tent. And it's interesting because as we read, and we, as you read in this chapter, it doesn't say that they weren't allowed to go to the tent. It doesn't say they weren't allowed. It said that those who want to can go. But they didn't go. If you are wanting more of the Spirit of God, if you are wanting more of God's presence in your life, I'm going to push a little bit. Why on a Sunday morning, and it's not just about Sunday mornings, I understand, but why on a Sunday morning when we open up the front of our church to come and receive prayer, do you walk out the door? Your automatic response, what some of you are going and saying is, Chad, I can experience God at home just the same as I can at the altar. Absolutely you can. But if you're looking for more of him, obviously it's not working what you're doing. Try something new. Miles will get these little toys once in a while. His uh, grandma or nana will buy them, and they're these little toys. It's not Lego. They actually come with little screws and bolts that are too small for any human hands to try to put it together. And, but he will, he will work on them, and he's pretty good at them, but then he'll get frustrated. Any man get frustrated trying to fix something. 
How many of us have learned, not saying we do it, just saying that we understand what we should do. See, there's two different things here. That when you're not getting something accomplished and you're getting frustrated, sometimes stepping away, taking a breath, or 10, and coming back, all of a sudden it works quickly. So I showed Miles because he was getting so frustrated. I'm like, buddy, just walk away for a minute. And he's at the table like every good man. No, I can do this. It's pretty much what his voice sounds like. He's like, no, I can do this. I can do this. I'm like, no, no, just walk away. No, no, I can do this. I can do this. But like, buddy, I know you can do this. You know you can do this. But are you doing it right now? No, it's frustrating. Walk away. And so he gets up, he walks away, and you can see him. He's just kind of standing staring at me, waiting for me to tell him to come back. And I'm like, take a deep breath. Take a couple deep breaths. And finally, he takes a few deep breaths. I'm like, just go for a walk. And so we just, in our main floor, the washroom's kind of in the middle. And so he just kind of, he walks around a few times. And I'm like, how you feeling? Fine. Still that, like, you know, he's more relaxed than he was. But you can still tell him, like, okay, come and try. He came back and he put it together right away. There are moments in our spiritual walk with God that we are so stubborn or stiff-necked. I don't know about you, but when I understood and researched just even what stiff-necked meant, because I have read it a ton of times, but I'm like, what does stiff-necked mean? Like, how many of us woke up with a stiff-neck, right? Like, at least, I don't get it. So finally, when I read it, I'm like, oh, kind of connects with people being bullheaded, <laughs> right? Like, it's like, oh, I get it, okay. So many of us, when it comes to trying to be, bring like change to our lives, we are stiff-necked. We want to do the same thing but get different results. And we all understand when it applies to somebody else that that's insanity. But when it applies to us, we're just determined. We need to realize these guys were allowed to come into his presence, but they wouldn't. You are allowed to try things differently to receive God, more of God, into your life. So next weekend, we have Holy Spirit weekend. On Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, I challenge you, come to every service. Well, Chad, I came last year, I didn't receive anything. Well, then we should just quit totally. It's a good thing that you're walking, because I'm sure when you started walking, you fell a few times. Why is it with God? Well, I came Saturday night, I didn't get anything, so I'm just going to sit home and watch the game. Guess what? If you sit at home and watch the game, I can promise you, you're not going to get anything out of Holy Spirit weekend. But, here's a crazy idea. I'm ser- like, you got to listen to me. Because, Pastor, when you were doing the, uh, speaking at the funeral, I thought it was such an amazing thing when you talked about Flo and said that you sat on some of her boards and there were some of the ideas that she came to you guys with and these ideas of the stretching of faith, these huge faith steps, and their responses in their heads. She's crazy. When was the last time you took a step with faith with God, you took a, a move with God, that he stepped, he spoke to you and tried to pull you And all of a sudden, somebody said to you, you're crazy. Because can I almost challenge you? If you're not doing something for God that's crazy to other people, then you probably don't need God to do it. If I'm not taking steps of faith that even Melissa or some of the other staff go, I think he's a little nuts. If I'm not pushing to there, then guess what? I can tell you I can do it on my own. Because if it doesn't scare me, I can just get her done. Just, 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 let's just get it done. You know yourself. When all of a sudden it scares you enough that you need to pray and knowing, God, if you don't show up, I'm in some serious trouble. I'm not talking about crazy, like literally craziness. I'm talking about steps of faith where other people go, I don't know. And then when God shows up, they're all like, I knew God was going to do it for you. We have to do this. We have to take these steps because as we take these steps, we experience more of him because we need more of him. We need to just make the choice not to make any moves without his presence. See, I love the fact 
that as you continue to read, as I'm telling you to take crazy steps and all these steps, Moses was able to take these steps because he knew God was with him. The moment he knew God wasn't going to be with him, he says, don't move. Exodus 33, verse 12 says, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. When we're studying and when we're reading and we're trying to get to know the Lord more, it shouldn't be just for knowledge. It should be so that we know him and continue to find favor with him. But as, you find, teach, as he teaches you his ways, the whole purpose of teaching you his ways is for you to follow his ways. There's no point in teaching you something if you're not going to do anything with it. See, the Bible tells us the more knowledge we have, the more understanding we have, the more responsibility we have. That's why you can't judge your neighbors if they're sinning because if they haven't read the Bible or if they don't understand the Bible or have committed their life to Jesus, you cannot hold them at that standard. We can be held at the standard because we know. And I don't know about you, but every time you start reading your Bible, we know it's a living word, so something new will jump out at you. And the moment you're like, oh, I never saw that before, just remember now you're accountable for it. (laughs) It's the way it rolls. You're like, yes, oh, at the same time. And that's why he reveals things at different times, because once you understand this, he'll give you this. Because if he gave it to you all in one picture, we'd all quit. But he loves us too much. At the end of verse 13, remember that this nation is your people. I love how Moses reminds God. See, there's times in my life where, I don't know about you, any, like, as you're parenting, for Melissa and I, we've dedicated both our children to the Lord. And so there are moments in our life where we are parenting and when we're holding our children or they've gone to the room so I can have a time out before I figure out what I'm going to do. And I remind the Lord whose children they are. There are many times when Miles was really bad with his skin and he was up at night crying and and scratching and, and we didn't know what to do where I would just hold him and I would pray and I would tell the Lord, Lord, I dedicated him to you, so this is your son. I am responsible for raising him, but this is your son. He needs your help. There's times in our lives where we remind God of the promises. If he's promised you something and you know that he spoke to you, you know that he told you something, have the boldness to say to him, God, remember this promise? Remember this promise? Now be prepared for him to also let you know why it hasn't been fulfilled. It could be him, it could be you. It's always the tension there. Verse 14, the Lord replied, my presence will... Go with you, and I will give you rest. Now, how many people have children like Moses? Because right here, God just said, I'm going to give you what you want. And then Moses replied, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. To me, these verses are twisted. Because the Lord just said, no, no, we're going to go with you. Now Moses comes back with, here is why I'm saying, don't send us without your presence. And here's what you need to understand as you walk through your workplace, as you walk through your community. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you were pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people in the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Know you by name and found favor with me. If God has called you to do something, he will empower you to do it. He will meet your needs to do it as long as you are faithful to him. He will give you everything you need. He's not going to ask you to do something that he cannot provide for you to do. He's not going to hang you out to dry. If he has asked you to do something, he will be there for you. It doesn't mean it's not going to be tight, it's not going to be tension, because he wants to know that you're dependent on him. He's not, and he's not like when I say that, sometimes we automatically assume, and pardon the expression, 
but like sometimes we almost think, oh man, that's kind of jerkish, but he's not. He wants you to keep your eyes on him. Because I don't know about you, like I said earlier, when it is going easy, it's, hard, it's very easy for me to get my eyes off the Lord. But in those tough, hard moments, man, I am concentrated because I know how much I need him. Remember that your nation, remind him. He doesn't forget, but he likes to know that you remember. So what sets us apart? What sets us apart from other people on the earth? Moses says the only thing that sets us apart is his presence. The only thing. We were asked, as at our conference, we were asked this question. How do you know you're in a church? And a lot of people rhymed off different answers and they threw out different things and they didn't have a lead up like we gave you. They threw out prayer, worship, there's uh, the Bible, there's different things happening. And then also the question came back, okay, so if somebody blind and deaf walked into your church, how do they know you're in church? Everybody immediately, oh yeah, God's presence. Anybody heard of Tony Robbins? Few people? Do you know if you go to one of his conferences, they start with music and singing? And then a great, incredible, motivational speaker comes up. This is how he makes his living. And he gives a great motivational message. He encourages everybody. And everybody leaves motivated and with life change. What's that sound like? See, the moment, the moment a pastor gets up and gives a message where you feel like, oh, I feel like I've done something wrong, we question like, wow, we should have some cheerful, positive messages. But that doesn't always bring correction. See, when I grew up, I, I grew up, like, still growing up, when, but growing up playing sports, growing up in life, the only way I learned to get better is when somebody pointed out something I did wrong. Now, nobody likes being just pointed at the whole time. I get that. But if we only talk about how great God is and all the love that he has for you and all this kinds of thing, you're going to walk out every Sunday going, I'm good. But you could be good with full of good intentions but heading straight to hell, and I don't want that. The only thing that separates you from your coworkers is the presence of God in your life. And when you walk into your workplace, if that presence of God goes with you, their lives can be changed. Their lives can be impacted. Because see, here's the thing with all of Tony Robbins' great speakings, all of the things that he can do, elegant speech is not gonna change somebody's life. The presence of God will change someone's life. And the presence of God will change your life. Well, Chad, I've already accepted Jesus into my heart. Perfect. Chad, I've actually already been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And we're Pentecostal, so we throw in the badge of, I even have the evidence of speaking in tongues. You know my heart. If you have the gift of speaking in tongues, I want to remind you, the baptismal Holy Spirit was to empower you to go and share the gospel. So if you speak in tongues, but you don't share the gospel, my own opinion is you're wasting the gift. It was given to you for a purpose, not to wear a badge when you come to church. We used to do that with crusaders, big whole badge. But that's what the purpose of it is. Use it for what it was given to you for. Filled with the Holy Spirit, we can walk into places and things be changed. Galatians 5, 24 says this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You should not be seeking after the things of the flesh. It says right here. Those who belong to Christ. If you are sitting here when I say, Chad, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Right here. Those who belong to Jesus Christ. If you say you belong to Jesus Christ, then that means you will be saying to yourselves that my flesh is crucified and I do no longer have its passions or desires. 
I'm not saying, neither is Melissa, we're not, we are not saying that when you stumble, when you have sin in your life, I don't ever want to say that I'm calling you a sinner. Unless you haven't accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. But I want to be very clear, just because you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart does not mean you don't sin anymore. The battle we have against this right here is real. And unless we identify it, you won't get past it. And the only way to get past it is more of the presence of God. That's why the verse says, more of me, or more of him, less of me. Not the other way around, sorry about that. More of him, less of me. The more I have of God, the less I want other things. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Moses knew that they could go ahead and have the promised land. So you're here this morning, and God has made promises to you. What you have to realize is what the Lord told Moses wasn't go ahead in the promised land and good luck with the armies. He literally said, go in. I will drive everybody out. You will receive the land filled with milk and honey. I will give you my promises. But I'm not going with you. So you might have a heart's desire for something in your life, a big business, uh, this reputation, these different things in your life, and God could stand in front of you and go, you can have it but I ain't going. And a lot of us are fulfilling our life's dreams and goals, but we know we're still missing something. We're missing the fullness of God's presence. We're missing the spirit of the Lord. The reason an encounter with the Lord is supposed to be not just a spiritual encounter, but there is a physical encounter with the Holy Spirit is Psalms 34.8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man or woman who trusts in him. When was the last time you tasted the presence of the Lord? If you question that, I want to tell you that you can One of the people that were at our conference, they had her share a testimony on how her grandfather got saved. There was a revival happening in Shawville. If you don't know where Shawville is, it's okay. Most people don't. But there was a revival happening. And her grandfather was working on the family farm, and he said to his dad, Dad, if I get my chores done, let me go. I won't even take a horse. It was a four-mile walk. Got all his chores done, and he walked. And as he got closer in Shawville, there was a blacksmith, and they, the blacksmith allowed them to use his facility to hold the services. They, and as he got closer, he could see fire on top coming from the blacksmith's shop. And he just started running. Because he knew he had to run to get there to help with the fire. And as he got within, I think they said, about 100 yards of the blacksmith shop, he hit the ground and just dropped. There was fire. You could see it on top of the blacksmith shop. But it wasn't on fire. It was the Holy Spirit presence of God. Just like on the day of Pentecost where it looked like fire on top of their heads, there was fire on top of this building. Oh, Chad, that sounds a little crazy. John Raymer spoke at Holy Spirit Weekend at Brace out a couple years ago, and he tells a story how his parents were having a prayer meeting and Bible study in their house. He and his brothers were upstairs, and all of a sudden the neighbors came flying over to their house and were banging and pounding on the door. So the parents came flying to the door to wonder, like, what do our neighbors need? Are they okay? And they swung open the door, and the neighbors like, you got to get out, you got to get out, you got to get out. Why? Your house is on fire. House wasn't on fire. There was fire on top, but it was the presence of the Lord.
The spirit of the Lord still moves today. We read in the scriptures how he, dis- he came down in a cloud. He comes down in fire. Why would you pick these stories apart when it's biblical? Well, Chad, that wouldn't happen today. No, just because it makes you uncomfortable doesn't mean it wouldn't happen. There's one thing I remember about Holy Spirit Weekend last week, last year. I remember a lot, but one of the things that stood out to me, because my kids pointed it out to me. And I'll be honest, the first time I drew attention to it on that weekend, I was kind of just teasing with my kids. But it stayed. I don't know if you remember last Holy Spirit Weekend. There was a lot of fog in town. And I remember Sunday morning, I remember saying to the kids as we drove here Saturday afternoon that, whoa, look at all the fog. You know, in the Bible, it talks about the Spirit coming down, the Lord coming down in a cloud. Look, it's all around the church. I'll be honest, kind of giggled and laughed. and We came back Saturday night. I don't know about you, I'm used to fog in the morning. Cloud at night. We wake up Sunday morning, I'll be honest, now my faith is a little bit higher. And I'm like, I want to see this cloud. We left our house, <clears throat> no clouds, no fog. I'm a little disappointed. Miles says to me, Dad, there's no fog. Yeah, I know, buddy. So where's God? I realize I probably shouldn't even make little jokes with kids because they listen. As we drove the back road coming up, we came up this road, and just as we came across the tracks, you could see this fog around our church. I'm not making this up. And as we drove up, God, or Miles just goes, Dad, Dad, look at the cloud around our church. All Sunday, there was a cloud. I believe that we can have a move of God in our homes and in our church. My heart's prayer is, Rick, and I'm not picking on you, but one day, one Sunday, you have to come because you're working. And somebody's called and said, there's a fire at Bethel Church. And my heart's prayer is as you're driving here, you're somewhat kind of giggling inside because you know. We're going to show up at the church with our fire trucks and all of Rick's co-workers are going to go, I have no idea what this is. And I haven't talked to Rick, but I know his heart. He's been praying for his co-workers. And he's able to share with them what this presence of God really is. Chad, you're crazy. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. And my prayer is that the next week, because we believe that God's presence is not a momentary thing, but it's a life-changing thing, is that the next week, just like Jesus, you think of Jesus walking down the road and everybody's flocking him because they know something's different about him. That's the presence of God. And a woman reaches out in the middle of the street to touches him, the hem of his garment, and she's healed, right? Because that's what the presence of God does. It's not for you. Yeah. It's, it's you get the incredible benefit of it, but it's not for you. It's not to have a weird church with crazy weird things happening. That's the benefit of it if, if it happens. But the benefit and the purpose of it is so that when we walk out of this place, somebody says, whoa, just like the disciples, and cross by Chad's shadow and gets healed. Amen. Or you normally don't know what to say to your coworker, and all of a sudden the next week they have a question And out of your mouth flows something that shocks you and brings them to salvation. That's what the presence of God is for. Just to give you a little bit of hunger. It's not so that we can have a warm fuzzy. We want the city of Stratford saved. Amen? Amen. Amen. Our heart is not to have a church full of church converts from other churches because they're coming to a cooler church. We want 
a church full of brand new Christians where we all have to have the purple book so that we can say, come along with me, come along with me. This is an amazing journey. Come with me. And we're all empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it. We want to bring you, we want to, we want to just like dangle a carrot in front of your head for today, to this week, every single morning, every morning, right? Yep. We're having prayer at 630 in the morning because we believe that God wants to pour his presence out. And as we were praying yesterday about, about this morning, I think we just felt like, you know what? This is such a critical moment of preparation. Because I feel, and I'm going to speak boldly, I feel lately that as you've looked over the years of the ebb and flow of where God goes in this church and how we respond, this doesn't have to do with, with where God is. He's always here. But our response sometimes is a little bit like this, right? Okay, we're a little bit full of turkey at Thanksgiving, a little bit full of turkey at Christmas, a little bit tired from holidays, okay. But to be passionate worshipers, do you even know that on Sunday mornings, we are literally on our faces in the back room? We've got a prayer team back there. The worship leaders are praying their guts out. If you ever question whether we are in a right place or whether we've sang the right songs, It has so much more to do with the expectation of the entire place, of whether we have come in expecting to worship with thanksgiving an incredible God and expecting that he's going to move in our midst so that we can be more empowered to go out the next day. Amen? Amen. And so I'm challenging you this morning. What is your concept of worship? Because I think of Moses and going in and the people rose They're like, there's the presence of God. We're standing at attention. And then Moses, he had to come out. And and he's like, I don't want to miss God speaking. So let's leave Aaron behind or let's leave Joshua behind. Joshua's staying there so we don't miss anything. When was the last time that around the clock we were like, God, we want to hear you moving. What are you saying? We don't want to miss it. I'm coming this morning. I am ready You know, I may be exhausted, but God, you can take care of that. I'm ready. Create a hunger for God to move. Thanks for checking out this week's message, Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you, and that you come back and check out next week's message as well.